0: Oda, 30 feet away, jumper in the air. He's got it. has won it for Rhode Island. In traffic, off balance shot. Back down. down! Jared Terrell and Rhode Island has done it
1: in the final five seconds on a circus shot from Jared Terrell. A career high night for him and a victory for Rhode Island. Broken up. Dutton,
2: run up. Look out. Look out below. Terrell wins.
1: Oh, steal by Fats Russell off of Young. Three. Oh! <laughs> oh! Don't do it to him like that, Fats. Dribbles into the forecourt. Iverson going up. He dunks it
2: home as the buzzer's found. And Roadie, the 8 10 chance.
0: Welcome to another episode of Rody Baseline. My name's Gary, joined As always, by my co-host, Andrew, and we are joined once again by one of our favorites on the podcast. We have Dave Escola here at Rody Rampage. You follow him on Twitter. You hear his takes all the time on both the men's and women's teams, and he has been on our show earlier this year. But we got Dave in now for a middle of the A10 episode right here on Rody Baseline. Dave, thank you uh, for joining me and Andrew once again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: So let let's jump right in here. Uh, and yeah, I was to about... say,
1: do, do we have anything to talk about? I don't, I don't I, know. Yeah. Sure.
0: Uh, let's jump right into the you know the 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 popular. We're good. Start thing. with the good news. I'm always a good news kind of. Thing. Start with the good news here. So Rhodey women, eleven games straight for Tammy Reese's crew, and obviously pretty high in the net, still fighting with a top spot with Dayton. What do you think about this women's team this year?
1: They are incredibly fun to watch. I got into watching them a lot last year. I think I've seen at least part of every game this year and the last – I don't know, dozen 15 or so. I've seen all of them. I've actually, and I I tweeted this out in, in kind of a reply to someone, but maybe people have seen it. If there's a women's game and a men's game going head to head right now, and we we'll obviously get to this later, but I'm watching the women's game. They're they're connected, they're they're gritty, just and any sort of superlative or adjective you want to use about what makes up a good team, they have it, and they have. You know, some tough games coming up. Thankfully, both of them are at home. Fordham on Sunday, uh, the 13th, and Dayton on Wednesday, the 16th. Those are two huge games. I, I think there's incredible amount of buzz around this team right now, at least b- based on my mentions and, and based on Twitter and based on, you know, talking to roadie fans. So hopefully they get some good crowds at those games and, you know, they're really making a push for an at-large here.
2: Yeah, they're straight on the bubble. I think the first, this is the first time they've been on the bubble in my lifetime. Like, I'm 26 years old. Like, what's Tammy's doing is insane. And just, it really came to a head against me when the ball movement they had against UMass at UMass, everybody's all just looks about the wins and losses. You got to look deeper. You got to look at how they're playing. That ball movement was absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, and UMass is legit, especially offensively, and they shut them down. I mean, that at UMass game, they held them to 46 points. I think coming into that game, they were averaging over 60 points per game, and and they held them to 58 when they played them at home. So I I don't want to go glass half empty here, but they rely on their starters pretty heavily. So uh, I'm hoping – that they have the legs to make a push, but otherwise I have no concerns, no doubts, really nothing bad I can say about this team. They're just so fun.
2: Or it's all part of the plan. Cause they do have a few solid pieces off the bench. Maybe it's all part of the plan. Hold the bench until you need them because you have on a Jermaine from Texas A&M. You have the young point guard. Uh, what's her name? Hentley. I believe yep. It is. yep. And then they have a couple other bigs who are, that didn't get a lot of minutes against LaSalle, but they've shown flashes where the bench can come in and help you too. So hopefully the bench, maybe it's just a ploy. You don't need the bench. Why use it until you need it? Don't show all your tricks in the, in the book until the end.
0: Yeah. And I mean you're also the the one thing that I've also seen too, and Andrew can back me up on this. So obviously a couple players out with with COVID during the COVID issues, right? Mm -hmm. So Dolly Karens has come out of the blue to be the starter there with Marta Vargas on the bench and has taken that, you know, that spot proudly. Uh, which is also big too. Like you have, it's, it's almost like the change in the shift.
2: Yeah, You have the young and you have the veterans. It's, you're all going to hate me for saying this, but this reminds me a lot of those two years with Hurley on the
1: men's side. I don't hate you for saying it all. I think you're spot on. I mean, just the, and obviously we'll get into this uh, a little bit more. And I kind of hate this (laughs) buzzword, but, culture you have that culture (laughs) you know you know we're going to talk about it later but you have this culture and and this energy and this accountability with the coach with the players the connectedness the and and it helps when you know, your starters are, are playing a lot of minutes together and you're running out a lot of the same lineups in the same rotations, but...
2: And it's not just the head coach, it's all the coaches. Like Absolutely. You, you can see day in, day out how close the entire team is. It's a sight for sore eyes if you follow both the teams just to see how close everybody is. And that translates to the energy that they give you on the floor. The care, Them caring for each other, is what personally is what won them that game against LaSalle on Sunday. They could have easily folded with how how well LaSalle was shooting, being in Philly at a 2 o'clock game, playing on above a pool, and them being close and wanting to win. Dow's last three minutes, I've never seen men's, women's, professional, I've never seen a game get closed out as well as that game got closed out on Sunday, the
1: steel. Yeah. That was, that was a crazy ending. I mean, I was on the edge of my seat and um, I think it was Karen's that hit a three to put him up three. And then LaSalle comes down, and immediately buries a three. And I was like, Oh my God, this game is nuts. But they, they closed it out. Defense free throws. Two steals From two, Chanel
2: Williams. Absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Back-to-back steals. The first one was huge. The second one was the absolute dagger yeah, they're just – and LaSalle, I mean – They played better than their record. They they, certainly. they bombed away from three, and they hit 14 of them. They took 39 it like four, yeah. they hit, took 39 threes, and they took 10 twos. I mean, that's insane. Claire Jacobs for LaSalle, 2 of 11 shooting. All of them were threes. <laughs> yeah.
2: LaSalle, was, I guess the saying, live by the three, die by the three, and they almost yeah. lived by the three and had one of the biggest upsets of the year.
1: It reminded me of that uh, uh, URI game. I think it was last year or two years ago, where they opened the men's game, where they opened against uh, the team Derek Kellogg coaches. And oh, LIU Brooklyn, and all they did was shoot threes. They did I remember threes that and, yeah. threes and threes and threes and threes. The only difference here is LaSalle was actually hitting them. I mean they're they're a good team. They started off four and two in the A ten, so. I don't know, you know, what their schedule has looked like. Maybe they've run into a couple of games against Dayton or Fordham or UMass that they may have knocked them down a peg because they're around 500 in the conference now. But, but yeah, I do think that they're better than than whatever their record is, which, which I said is, a, I think it's around 500 in the A-10s. So. And
2: as a whole, the women A-10, I think they've got four teams firmly on the bubble to make the tournament. Like from what, everything I've gathered, because I've only gotten into women's basketball the last couple of years like outside of the Yukons and the Baylors of the world. Usually from what I've heard, the A-10 is a one bid league. And this year they could very well be sending two or three teams to the, to the big dance, which would be great for not only URI, but for the
1: program as a whole. For sure. And for the conference. um, Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I've only been following um, the last couple of years, but yeah, it really does seem to be kind of the unwritten rule that it's a one bid league. They only send the conference champion, but I do not think that's going to be the case this year, you know, and and for URI's sake, if URI doesn't win the A-10 tournament, I hope Dayton does because if not, we could be getting a bid thief slipping in there. And I don't want that to knock URI out potentially, but, you know, just just keep winning and and they'll be fine.
2: My prediction is it's URI and Dayton are going to split their two games and that game three is going to be Sunday at two o'clock on ESPN two in Wilmington. And if you're a basketball fan, you are going to want to watch that game. And if it gets to that, if those are the only losses on both Dayton and URI's record, whoever wins that game automatically goes in. And I feel whoever loses that championship game is going to be in
1: for sure. Yeah,
2: like there's I unless something crazy happens the rest of the season. I think if Dayton URI are playing on that Sunday the sixth in Delaware, it though both those teams are in, and maybe Fordham UMass could sneak in there if they can get a couple upsets.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think if, if URI takes care of business and only has that loss at Dayton, and, and, you know, I still don't know the status of a couple of their COVID games being rescheduled, but, and same with Dayton, if they take care of business, except for one loss to URI, you know, excuse me, both those teams are going to get in top 25 votes. I mean, they already are, and that's only going to continue, and it, And they're going to get more and more votes. They could be, you know, 25, uh, 26, 27, 28 in the respective polls uh, around there. So, yeah, I, I could easily see both those teams very firmly in by the time they – you know, I, if, if, if if everything goes as we're projecting, I if think they play in the championship game, they'll that. both be firmly in, I think. I think now, you're right
2: f- Fans deserve that with all the issues that the men's program has. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so,
0: so now, so obviously you did tweet uh on Monday morning, and I do want to update the fans on here. If you if you don't follow Dave, make sure to follow him at Rody Rampage, right? So a net update as of today, which is Monday, February seventh. I'm losing track of days. Um yep. so Dayton at 47 in the in the women's net, obviously with a forty point win uh over the weekend which is crazy. Yeah, they um,
1: blew George Mason. It's like 84-44. I mean, they just absolutely toasted them. So, yeah. yeah.
0: Then Rhodey right behind them at 48 and then UMass still at 52. And then a couple, you know, as Andrew was saying a couple weeks ago, when we went to that UMass game. UMass was 50. URI was 49. So yep. to have a huge win at UMass by a pretty significant margin will benefit them. But with Rhodey's schedule coming up Obviously, away at St. Joe's on Wednesday, and then at home against Fordham, at home against Dayton.
2: Start your Super Bowl Sunday in Kingston.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, And (laughs) I'm going to get greedy here. I'm going to get greedy. But I'm just looking at URI's recent scores. You know, they beat LaSalle by six. St. Louis by 8. UMass was a nice 14 point win Davidson by 14. But they've had a couple of really severe blowouts this year. Uh they beat GW 73-42. They beat Hartford 84-49. I want to get greedy and I want to I want to see them just absolutely pants St. Joe's by like 20 plus. Yeah. And and, and just kind of and just kind of coast you know, it, be riding high. I should say they're not going to coast into Fordham and Dayton because those are two very tough teams, but yeah. be riding high coming to those games.
2: As much as Tammy says that, and I believe it, you got to take it one game at a time when you're on the bubble. Yeah. But I hate using this term, but looks like the ultimate trap game tomorrow night or Wednesday night. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I hope not. Cause that LaSalle game was way too nerve wracking for me. And I'd love, uh, kind of sit back and put your feet up type game on Wednesday night, <laughs> if, if they can get it. I think, I think we
0: all do Dave. at this point, but I, I mean, they, if looking at everything, right. The St. Joe's game should be, as we said, hopefully that right before mm-hmm. them is 16 and five Dayton 18 and three, same as us, Richmond, 13 and 10 St. Bonaventure, 12 and nine, right? These teams that they're playing now are not five and 11 Four and two, four and twelve, whatever. Like these, and I'm not, and I'm not, and I agree with what you know, Coach Reese said, right? Game at a time. But the, you know, if the LaSalle game was really tough for them, and I think that that adversity and that makes you stronger. I think that they have to be focused one game at a time because, you know, you could be super excited about the eleven game win streak that can come away in a snap.
1: Yeah, yeah, and Dayton is one twelve straight too. So I mean. They're on a collision course. That's what I'm saying, and if it certainly feels like it, if you or I can win their next two, I don't know what Dayton's schedule looks like. I think they have, um, you know, a winnable game on Wednesday.
2: Dayton plays Saint Louis on Wednesday, and yeah. then they play VCU on Sunday before they come to Rhode
1: Island. I mean, that's going to be just an absolute like appointment television for me so it'll
0: be good now obviously you know turning the tables here with everything going on where do you think this roadie team can finish in the a10 standings going into the a10 women's tournament happening the first week of march
1: i think top four is pretty much a given
0: right now pretty
1: much clinched already yeah so um let me look at the stand i'm just bringing them up right here yeah they have a
2: Yeah, they're, they, them and Dayton are two games clear of Fordham and three again, three clear of VCU to plus they have the tiebreaker over UMass LaSalle Um, pretty much Clint. They've pretty much clinched the top four.
1: Yeah. So when I think about the a 10 tournament, given that it's at a neutral site, I don't think there's much difference one through four, like any of those spots, you're fine. Um, You know, you get that double by, you don't have to worry about since it's that neutral site. you don't have to worry about home court advantage. So, um, but I think, you know, looking at the standings right now, I think top two is, is almost a given as well, you know, provided they don't slip up, it's really going to be a battle between them and Dayton. And I don't know what the tiebreakers, I don't, I I never know this stuff. If they split (laughs) when they play each other and they finish with the same record, I don't know if it's point differential or. (laughs) record against common opponents or if it makes me feel better
0: Dave we don't know either so
1: yeah I don't know any of this stuff I just (laughs) let the A-10 figure that stuff out and and show me the bracket (laughs) so but uh yeah I mean top two and that's that's really all you want you know I'd love for them to win the regular season title if they don't and Dayton wins it that doesn't make me change my opinion about their ability to to win the conference tournament so yeah one or two I'll My it. only
2: saying is if they get the if they don't get the one they get the two. They play at two. They play at one thirty on the Friday instead of eleven a.m. So for us who have lives, we can sleep in
1: or work a little bit on yeah. Friday morning. Yeah, I also well, think I've,
2: that this team could shock a lot of people come March.
1: I think so too. I mean, you know, I
2: national championship, but they could make a run to that second weekend.
1: No, they're they're winning the natty. So place um, <laughs> your bets now. Yeah, I was gonna say what I will say. Um, <laughs> following this team more has uh, shown a light for me uh, on how much of just a shaft women's basketball gets. Like, there's no bracketology sites. There's ESPN's and there's like yeah. one on college sports madness, and that's it. And I see they're on the bubble on ESPN, and I'm like well, how accurate is this? I'm I'm sure they don't even do any measurements on it. You go to bracket matrix for the men and you got like 150 brackets and then they have rankings every year. So, you know, like this one has URI out, but they suck. So I'm not, don't even worry about that. They're, they're in, in this one, which is like top two (laughs) or three, but yeah. So I'm just relying on this one ESPN bracket and are they good? I don't know. They have them on the bubble. (laughs) All right, does that mean oh, you, know,
2: in? you or I could be a four seed somewhere?
1: Yeah, who knows? Yeah, <laughs> so, so.
0: As, so, like you heard, Dave, obviously, uh, home game for the women coming up on Sunday, Super Bowl Sunday, one o'clock start versus Fordham. Obviously, you can reach out to the Ryan Center to grab tickets for that, and then the big one on Wednesday, 6 p.m. versus Dayton. That game, obviously, you can purchase tickets as well at the Ryan Center. You want to go see this team, they literally have three home games left which is crazy to think
2: if you want to see a team that can hit free throws <laughs> box out play defense win games come to the ryan center when the women are playing
1: just play connected like even just some of the intangible stuff that doesn't show up in the box score that you're frustrated about and uh, act like they uh,
2: like this, each other
1: his team has it all uh they're just they're just so fun and i i promise i will not whether it's espn plus or going in person i i am absolutely not missing a second of another game for the rest of the year um not like i haven't missed much already but i'm locked in
2: and with that we might as well bite the bullet and talk about what we all don't want to talk about but probably should talk about and the disaster that is called the men's program and that might be the polite way to
1: put it are they even having a season i don't know i haven't (laughs) checked on it (laughs) so
0: yeah a very so a so a tough tough one here right uh uri men on a losing streak tough all around for them and obviously another tough loss against umass on saturday with the vcu game coming later today and then obviously uh coming home and playing against uh davidson on uh saturday as well so very tough stretch and uh i'm gonna Pointed over to you, Dave, do we think that somebody could be, you know, into the hot seat as of right now?
1: Well, think about it this way. There's three options, but in my mind, there's only two options. But someone has convinced me that the third option is potentially possible. And I don't want to think about it because I just think it's just a bad idea all around. You have my interest. Okay. So David Cox has one more year on his deal after this year. To me, the two options at the end of this year are to buy him out, release him from his coaching duties, <laughs> or extend him. And, you know, the third option would be to let him coach the final year of his contract, put him in as kind of a lame duck situation, hamper recruiting. Although recruiting is very hard to hamper right now with the new transfer rule, but I, I just don't see that as a viable option, even though some people kind of breaking down URI's financial situation and I, I, don't, I don't know. Uh, but in any event, the two options in my mind are to buy him out uh, of the last year of his deal or extend him. And I can't come up with any reason to extend him. I mean, there's just what could you possibly point to? At this point, Uh, they've lost five in a row. Their best win, according to Ken Palm, has been over Boston College. Uh, If you count the two wins over Boston College as one, their second best win has been against St. Joe's, according to Ken Palm. Their third best win has been UMass, uh, followed by Georgia State, and then Harvard. So, I mean... (laughs) This is not pretty. There's nothing that warrants an extension to me. If they keep him for another year, I think people will riot. I don't think they're going to sign him to an extension. It just doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we're kind of left with one option here, which is, you know, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, plus the eight, ten 10 tournament games left.
2: I completely agree with you. That third one is asinine. In my opinion, it would, what player in their right mind would compete for him? in the first place, if they know he's going to be gone at the end of the year, it would set the program back. What fan support would you have, in my opinion? You can't extend him. Unless starting tonight against VCU, they go on a 15-game winning streak, win the A-10 tournament, make it to the Sweet 16, then you could extend him. But I don't see that happening.
1: Sure, if they they make the NCAA tournament, uh, which at this point is going to involve winning the a ten tournament, then I think you extend him obviously I, and and I don't think anyone would have would have a problem with that, but if you think that's happening right now, I think you may have some other problems.
2: It <laughs> might need to go to the uh, institution if you think that I just yeah <laughs> I
1: just
2: if it was up to me, I would get rid of him. I know the buyout i'm a i think what he makes like seven hundred and fifty grand a year i think I think last I read, the buyout's got to be at least half that. Yep. In the grand scheme yeah. of it, you can't find a donor. You can't find a donor to fork over three hundred and fifty grand to save the program.
1: Yeah, I mean, my my dad made this point, so I'll give him credit for this. But if you don't think there aren't people that have way more money than us and way more clout than us having this exact same discussion right now, you're crazy. So. There's somebody re- ready to fork over money. I promise you. I, I don't know <laughs> that for a fact, but I mean, let's be real here. Um, someone, some booster, uh, or a group of people are ready to. They're in Thor's ear. They have influence. They have money. That they, they're they're ready to, uh, to to do what it takes to to make this change. And you know, I I don't want to be so flippant about this it's it's super tough to lose a coach it's uh especially
2: when you think about the man like he's a
1: tremendous tremendous person is a great guy tremendous person and by the way a tremendous assistant coach like he was phenomenal as an assistant when he was here in terms of recruiting in terms of being the second you know guy in the chair behind hurley it's it's always tough for your program, and it's it's tough coming off you know some disappointing seasons to try to recruit someone. This is not where you want to be, you know. People people are talking about how excited they'll be. It's not it's not really exciting. It sucks, but it's the reality of the situation that that this team is looking at right now. Yeah, brass
2: tacks comes down to it. It comes yep. down to wins and losses. Yep. You could be you could be the pope. But brass tacks comes down to it.
1: It's about yeah, the wins and the losses. Yeah, I, I'd much rather be talking about a team that's you know on the bubble or you know top four in the league, but we're not. So this is the reality that that we're dealing with, and and I think this is what uh, has to be done. And I my prediction is it's what's going to be done.
0: Now, obviously, you you brought this up. You know, your dad brought up the quote that there are people with money that are. You know already having the conversation that we're having right now but you know up up there in that in the press conference on Saturday uh David Cox did bring up that he was having a conversation with Thor which is why it was late uh and then went on a 3 minute tirade basically you know as a preaching to save his job similarly to what you know we thought and then obviously then and you know ending the the opening statement with this rest completely on my shoulders we'll get this rectified after multiple games of saying you know we're, we're a great team we're doing a great job we need to work on things so insert team here is a great team they're matured they came to win we didn't come to win and not take don't forget
2: that I'll look at the tape
0: oh yeah and the <laughs> uh, the lovely Joe judge I will look at the tape uh, quotes as well um do you think that there is, you know, some concern on his part that he thinks that he may be getting the boot and that he's going to be, you know, run out of the, of Kingston.
1: So a couple things first, I didn't know. And we talked about this before we came on, but when you told me that he was late to the press conference, cause he was talking with Thor, that was my first time hearing that. I, I did not know that I didn't see any video or hear any audio from the press conference, but I did read the transcript and uh, I'm in full agreement that it is, was a very different, uh, message and, and a shift from what he had been saying before. And it, it was more accountability. It, it was probably what you wanted to hear. Uh, I don't have any problem with him saying Fordham's a good team, you know, um, the coaches say their opponent is a good team all the time. They're not going to come out and say they're a bad team. I mean, I always talk about Bill Belichick always says the Jets are a good team. I mean, they never are. So uh, I don't put too much stock into that, but I, I do uh, think that the tone was much different and uh, a lot more personal accountability, uh, which, which is good. Uh, I ultimately don't see any reason to believe this changes anything in terms of the trajectory of the rest of this season but you know a very very different tone and certainly sounds like someone who is a little nervous about their future with the program oh i completely agree it
2: it was a definitely a different tone definitely somebody who was pleading for his job little part of me doesn't think that's the time or the place to be pleading for your job, but that's a whole argument for a different day. I think he needs to and, the, and you could, we could bring up the Mori article where he brought up the culture and all that stuff. I think there's, it's just it's a big, big mess right now and I think how we even thought we were close to having the right culture is a little mind-boggling to me when you're not playing teams that will get you anywhere. I think the 12-4 record, we can all agree, was inflated.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I just ran down their five best wins or whatever it was. It's disgusting. You know, they're, uh, they've are they played one, two, three, four teams in the top uh, 100 of Ken Palm, their own four. Um, I actually went back, and I, I wish I had tweeted it or something. I just kind of went back for my own, you know, sadistic personal punishment. And <laughs> we all have <laughs> done that. Check to see when the last time they finished a season without a win over a Ken Palm top hundred team, and I, it only happened maybe once, maybe never. Uh, it's very, very rare uh, that that has happened, if if at all. And Ken Palm's been around since the o one o two season, so just food for thought there. And and there's that's just one stat. There's plenty of other things people are pointing out. Koch pointing out uh, Bill Koch pointing out that um, you know their records since they were riding high uh, in the 2019 2020 season where they kind of uh, were on the bubble for a little while and then kind of tanked the, the last I don't know half dozen or so games like starting starting at that point until now their their overall record and their conference record have just you yeah, know been pretty gross. Now, what would
2: you say about the culture aspect and how that conversation all came to a head? I know we talked about how the women's culture is on the ups and ups. And obviously the the men's is on the down and down. Like, yeah. on that whole thing.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, this was my my one. And it's not really a, a quibble with Maury's article, but a minor disagreement in that um, I do think at least a part of culture is wins and losses you'll never look at an 0 and 21 team and say oh they got great culture and you'll never look at a 21 and 0 team and say oh i don't know about their culture so that that it it plays a part it's not the whole thing but it plays a part uh he says culture isn't defined by results i, mean, I have the article open right now it's partially defined by results i mean uh, that said i do agree with his overall point that um, you know whatever you consider culture to be and a lot of people have very different definitions of it this team doesn't have it, it, it or at least doesn't appear to have it um and even when they were i mean even when they were winning they, they beat milwaukee 82 58 and i finished watching that game and i was like i don't think they looked that good i didn't think they looked that great in that game they won 82 58 so to me that's that's kind of the culture, you know, to look bad when winning by, you know, what, 20 something, 24 points, they didn't look great. So the Georgia state game, you know, they, they looked okay, but uh, you know, so just a lot of these wins, I haven't really come away very impressed with, with how they've played. So uh, whether, if you're one of those uh, amateur body language analysts uh, which a lot of people seem to be i, I seem to be one at times there's just not a lot that that makes you feel like this team is connected and, and playing with you know whatever whatever you consider culture to be they and i think have it.
2: i think that comes from i think a prime example of that i have two that i can think of one would be this past game against UMass isha and initial ig came onto the court before everybody else. Generally, if you're a good team, you're all coming out together, going rah-rah at half. They they didn't. And I think another prime example, and I'm sure we're going to get into this because I'm sure we have all our feelings about a certain duo. I remember, I think it was, was it the GW game? Or it was one of the last home games. One of the twins fell to the ground, wasn't getting up, was complaining And the entire, I know I yelled at him to get off his derriere and the entire crowd was yelling at him. I can't remember the last time watching you or I or any game that I've ever heard a crowd turn on a particular player at a particular moment than I did that, And that just, that can't happen. And that probably speaks to culture as well.
1: Yeah, that was either the LaSalle or the GW game. And I definitely remember that that as well and it was just um it's very bizarre let's put it that way um yeah i don't think any uri fan that watched that was happy about that it was incredibly frustrating now
0: my my question to you dave do you think that where does this issue lie right it, is does it lie with cox and the coaching staff is it the players that aren't meshing together because if you look at uri's team on paper and and right and this is Looking at the glass, you know, half full, half empty here, right? If you look at URI's team on paper, the team has potential. But then when they go on the court, they just look like a big conjundled mess. And I know we're on the podcast and nobody can see my hands, but I'm literally, (laughs) it's a conjundled mess.
1: So um, I've, I've come around on this a little bit. I think you have to put some of it on the players. I think you have to put some of it on the players. I'm not, this is not a coach Cox apology tour. Don't, don't mistake it. He is the head coach. He's the man in charge. He is also the general manager. You know, this isn't a, uh, a situation in professional sports where, you know, you look at the coach and like, well, I don't know what he could have done. You know, the GM gave him this, dealt him this crap hand. What was he supposed to do? Uh, So I think, you know, Cox deserves a lion's share of the blame, but I think you have to look at the players too, uh, whether they're not executing his game plan or whether, uh, I mean, I don't know what it is. They're not playing up to their potential. I mean, you look at guys like Shepard, you look at guys like Leggett who may or may not be hurt. Uh, there's certainly been w- rumors I've seen on Twitter and, and Bill Koch has tweeted like, Oh, he has a sleeve on his knee. Interesting. That, 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 you know, stuff like that. So, but um you know, you look at, at, at guys that are, you know, are better than, than what they're playing it, is Cox, not putting them in the right position to succeed. I think that's part of it, but I also think you have to put some of this on the players. And, and to me, and I, I think Andrew made a comment earlier that I may disagree with uh, slightly is it's, A lot of the guard play right now is just brutal Uh, for all the frustrations of the Mitchell twins. Mikkel Mitchell has been their best player this year. There's, it's not even really close in my mind, you know, Sebastian Thomas has been awesome relative to his expectations, but I wouldn't, he's been their most impressive uh, surprise, uh, pleasant surprise but in terms of just raw numbers, Mikkel Mitchell is going to make an all a 10 team this year. He, he has been great. And then you look at guys, you look at their starting three guards and and what are they giving you most nights? You know, maybe one of them has a good game, but you know, they've been going to Thomas and Carrie because they have to, uh, their starters aren't really giving them much at all. So you know how much you put on the the players, how much you put on Cox. That's kind of up to you, but I would say I'm not putting 100 percent of this on Cox. You got to look at the players as well. It's also the players that Cox brings in, but that's yeah, no, that, I mean, yeah, I, I made that point too, and I think that's that's fair. Um, but I do think that these players are are better than than what they've shown so oh, far true. this year for the majority. You but
2: know? I I agree with you that Sebastian Thomas has been has been a pleasant surprise, and I hope – and I think the free-throw shooting – how – okay, how would you fix this?
1: Well, the free-throw shooting,
2: uh, I – had
1: that kind of goes back – That's my biggest issue with all this. That kind of goes back the, to
2: – My big issue with things right now is majority of the problems are fixable, and they're not being fixed. Free-throw shooting, you can easily fix. And credit Sebastian and Isha mean for after the game – coming out and shooting after the game, but shooting for 20 minutes after a game or an hour, however long they shot after a game, isn't going to do much. You need to fix the stuff in practice, how you communicate on the defensive side of the ball. You can fix in practice. Like that's my issue is you have all these issues. They seem to be getting worse instead of better.
1: Yeah. and, And to the free throw shooting, um, I don't want to harp on this, but it kind of harkens back to my my other point in that their free throw shooting is bad because the only people that are getting to the line are the Mitchell Twins, and they're not good free throw shooters. Their free throw percentage was being brought up earlier in the year by guys like Leggett, by guys like Shepard and, and Elamine, and their guards getting to the line, and their guards aren't getting to the line anymore. Yeah, they're it's almost not. like
2: they stopped driving the ball and going down. They kept... they. They had one game where they hit threes and all of a sudden they thought they turned into Ray Allen and Steph Curry and can't miss. And instead of going to the basket, like they were being so successful at the beginning of the year, they stopped doing that and dishing out for the occasional three. I
1: don't yeah. know where
2: that all stopped happening.
1: Yeah. You look like I, I just brought up a random box score that I know they shot free throws poorly. And, but you look at the Fordham game. They shot eight, eight for 20, 40% from the line. Jeremy Shepard did not shoot a free throw. It Amin did not shoot a free throw. Sebastian Thomas did not shoot a free throw. Ish Ish Leggett, one of two from the line. So he shot two free throws. The rest of the team, predominantly forwards, shot 18. So that's why their free throw shooting is down. These guards need to get to the line and bring that percentage up. And even if they don't get to the line, they need to start attacking and playing better. You know, Leggett, Leggett shot seven of eight against GW. Uh, which was huge. And he kind of saved that game from being a disaster from the line. Uh, but I'm just like clicking through box scores LaSalle game, Shepard shot one free throw. Uh, Thomas shot one free throw. Uh, Elamine shot two free throws. So, and that was probably, you know, late in the game. So, yeah, when the Mitchell twins are shooting all your free throws, you're going to be a 50% free throw shooting team. They need other guys to start getting to the line. Like I said, we could talk about the frustrations of, of the Mitchell twins a lot, but they've been two of their, you know, most consistent, most reliable players. They can't shoot free throws. They have trouble rebounding. They make some plays that make you want to pull your hair out, but, um, but they're, they're consistently double digits every game. So if you're looking for problems for all their frustrations, I don't think you, you start with them in my opinion. Now
0: obviously the other issue that uh, Andrew was bringing up as well is the issue with boxing out on the rebound it, it, it's it's crazy to think and, and again and you know obviously you're saying become Mitchell and and I, I can't disagree with you on that but there has been an issue with this team getting rebounds you know on those shots and letting these teams just grab the rebounds and scoring on the second chance opportunities
1: yeah I mean they've just been a, an absolutely brutal uh, rebounding team. Free throws. (laughs) I I, I tweeted this, but I feel like every time I'm at a basketball game, regardless of high school, college, uh, professional, you always hear somebody who doesn't really understand basketball that much being like, hit your free throws, rebound, 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 hit your free throws. And I'm like, well, there's more to the game than that. And there is. But (laughs) if that person came to a URI game this year, point they'd have a point and they probably lose to prove that i'm not one of
2: those fans i want to say it was it was against umass one of the twins i don't know what in his right mind he was out he popped out to defend somebody who was at who was behind the three-point line and then left his man wide open under the basket and just stood there and watched the, the umass hit him wide open get a stunk and then he looked around like it was anybody else's fault and looked at the bench. Like, oh, what am I supposed to do? Drop down to the paint and defend the paint like yeah. we brought you to URI to do. You're two of the biggest men in this league. Block the darn rim and <laughs> grab a body. Sorry, that was my rant.
1: Well, <laughs> to, to counter that, um, I, I don't want to get off on a tangent here, and we'll get back to the rebounding, but... The Mitchell twins should not be on the floor at the same time. They preach, Papa, preach! <laughs> they just shouldn't. They just shouldn't.
2: Put Malik Martin in the starting lineup. Or oh, Anton wow. Walker. I just realized we have a whole other topic to go to, the rotation. Wow. wow. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. So we'll, we'll get to that later. I'll talk about rebounding. They're not a good rebounding team. Uh, They should be better. Um, And, and I don't really, like, you know, I've never played basketball at a high level, but um, – you know, seeing people who did, that they, they always talk about how rebounding is, you know, uh, largely effort and um, mm-hmm. not a lot of, generally not a lot of skill involved. Like That's why to, I made my varsity be, basketball team in high you school. You need to be tall and try. I mean, that's pretty much it. So. Yeah. I think rebounding, it can very easily be criticized. You know, uh, I'm just looking at Ken Palm here. I'm trying to find the, the rebounding numbers, but they're bad. Uh, they're, they're not good at all. They're getting killed on the offensive glass. They don't grab many offensive rebounds themselves. So they're getting killed on the defensive glass. It's just kind of all around. It's, it's not good. And that is something that, you know, I think you put that on the players and the coaching staff. Um, it's, it's bad and it needs to get better. Um and we'll we, we'll talk about the VCU game. I'm sure, but VCU is not a good rebounding team either. So this could be uh... well. This could be
2: fun. This would be my game.
1: That's yeah. why I beat
2: my high school basketball team. Yeah, purely because I could rebound.
1: But <laughs> but but and anytime they play against a, a team that's decently good at rebounding, it's it's just incredibly tough to watch. So. But
2: I think that brings you back. I think as crazy as it sounds, the effort brings you back to the culture thing. Like yeah, effort part of the culture.
1: Yep. yeah Yeah, no I agree uh you know buying in you know your coach telling you how to rebound and you do it and you you know you crash the glass and and everyone is kind of working together to secure an offensive rebound or a defensive rebound so I mean that perfect
2: world the bigs are supposed to box grab a body box out and the guards are supposed to come in and grab
0: the
1: ball yep that hard
0: now you brought I I need to rotate into this now rotate right um, yeah, you brought up a perfect point, and something that Andrew and me have said for a little bit, right? I, I can agree with you more that both twins should not be on the floor at the same time. And
2: it's all to do with this recruiting and these guys being promised minutes. Like Ishal, mean, should not be in the starting lineup right now. It's all about these guys being promised minutes, and I purpose- I think that's why Jalen
0: Carey's still in the rotation. But go on, Gary. So my question to you is, you know, do you think we need to change up the rotation? So obviously he's been, you know, changing it up. We're putting Sebastian Thomas in the starting lineup and putting Jeremy Shepard off the bench. But do you think that more needs to be done? You know, does one of the twins need to sit and come in from the bench? Malik taking that spot, you know, should Antoine Walker be in the starting lineup? Like, what do you think uh, the rotation changes need to be to possibly, you know, resolve the some of the issues? Obviously, we can't. Fix everything, but just trying to fix it piece by piece.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, just touch on this quickly. I think you, you, if he wasn't hurt, you would have seen Carrie in the starting lineup against UMass too, and potentially, um, you know, El Amin sitting. Um, You know, those two guys have been. For for all of Carrie's faults, and, and I'm not finding too many this year. I think he's been much improved, but he's he's been their second best guard. If you think Thomas is their best, um or more consistent, showing more effort than any of those three guys that are starting right now. Um not not so much LME, uh, not so much Leggett, rather. He, he I think he shows tremendous effort. He's just something's off this year with him. But in, in any event, I am I think who starts is overrated and I think it's more about who finishes. That said, Cox finishes with his starters. So, <laughs> so, so that's a little weird, but you, you see them start slow and they finish slow, which to me indicates that there's something wrong with the starting lineup. And I, I would love to see more finishing with the hot hand, you know, uh, Maury brought up how, Jalen Carey had a tremendous game in leading the back from 19 down against Fordham to tie it. And then he stabbed for the final couple minutes and they, you know, they didn't score another point.
2: Because so kids complain because they need to get their minutes, because that's what they were promised. Not all about wins. It's all about, ooh, I was promised I'm gonna play 25 minutes a game and I'm not playing.
1: Yeah, I I don't know if that's what it is. Like I hope it's not. It sure seems like it, but. Yeah, the 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 twins should not be on the floor like you made me think of it when you were talking about how uh, Makai, I think you said it was Makai, I don't remember the specific play found himself out on the wing uh, guarding someone that's because he had to that's because he had to because he was in the game as a second center, basically, and he had to guard a non-center. So he was guarding a wing or a power forward that could shoot threes, TJ Weeks probably. So that, to me, like, I know you're frustrated with his play and I think that's fair, but that's, that's he shouldn't have been on the floor at the same time. Like, that's coaching too. So Walker or Martin, one of those two guys, I would love to see more minutes from either of them. I know Walker is not the best defensively, but he gives you so much else that I feel like you can live with it. And his um, effort is unparalleled. And his, and we were talking about rebounding. He's the best rebounder on the team. Like it's not even close. He's, he's the only guy nationally ranked on Ken in offensive rebounding percentage. So, um, and Makai Mitchell is actually 46 in the country in defensive rebounding percentage, which is shocking to me, but it's true. But anyway, yeah, they, they, Just one big at a time, please. Just one big at a time. And you see where he starts with the two bigs and then around the 16 minute or so timeout, he pulls one of them and puts in Walker and they just seem to play so much better. You know, they're they're down 11 to four or something. And then all of a sudden they're up, you know, 20 to 16. Um, So to me, like the, the question I ask myself all the time is, if I can see this, how are none of the coaches seeing this? I don't Those guys know more about basketball than I will ever know. Like David Cox has forgotten more about basketball than I will ever know. But how are like it, it just it's just so bizarre to me. I I don't have an it just adds to the frustrations of, of all of this. Your rise upcoming games, it's not easy, right? VCU
0: tonight, Davidson on Saturday, Dayton on Valentine's Day, and then the Bonnies. So that basically means that the schedule doesn't get easier. You're in you're at five straight losses at a point where you thought you would be 4 and 1, potentially maybe 5 and 0. You know what happens now? You know what what happens? You know, do they come around and, and get a a clutch win against VCU? Do they shock one of those teams? Or do we talk about it and they're on, you know, uh, a 9-10 game losing streak? And having a tough time to to almost be playing on Wednesday in the 8-10 tournament,
1: just based on recent trends, and I I, I tweeted this and then Maury put it in his column and I'm talking to my attorneys about it right now. <laughs> is uh, <laughs> is I don't think I don't think we've seen rock bottom yet. I think I think rock there's still this still can get worse. VCU Davidson Dayton, then it's at GW and it's like oh yeah GW they they already lost to GW. And now they're playing them on the road. Uh, and then Bonaventure and then Duquesne at home, which is the only game where I'm like circling that as a win. But who knows at this point? And then St. Louis and then Joe's and on the road. So, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, I They could easily lose their next three, four, five. I, think I, don't, think I, don't, I don't think they're losing to Duquesne, but these next five games, they could lose them all. And But the most frustrating part about this team is, could win any of those games too. They could beat that's, VCU, especially if they don't have Vince Williams. But even if they have Vince Williams, they could beat VCU. They could beat da- Davidson at home. They almost beat Davidson on the road. They could they could beat Dayton at home. They almost beat Dayton on the road. But so it's like that's the frustrating part. Like if you bet on this team, God help you. Uh, I'm just betting over unders at this point. So <laughs>
2: that's my issue. Is the talent is there for them to be in the top of the conference on paper? This team is. A top four, top five, top sixteen, and that's the aggravating thing as a fan, which gets you back into the coaching and not using the talent the right way, which leads us into the topic back to the hot seat and yeah, briefly about this beforehand and our names that we all have and names that you want to shoot down and names that Gary and I both have. Yeah, I mean, it's the yeah, fun. I it's the fun aspect of the sad truth that we're in, and I think we're ready to have some fun after all the trashing and sad talk we have so
1: yeah give me some names because i have no names i have i have a list of hard no's but i don't have any yeses yet so So do you
2: want my realistic my dream or my pipe dream ones
1: I think the dream and pipe dreams may just may just mirror my entire no list. But <laughs> go ahead, I'll let Andrew, let so Andrew yeah. go, with, gonna go with this
0: go with this dream and his pipe dream. And okay. then we'll my realistic. pipe
2: dream names are Chris Mack and Jared Grosso. My Chris Mack one is because it's Chris Mack, and why wouldn't you? Jared Grosso is he was on the list for the Fordham job. The slow trek, he'd be on the same trek that. Hurley took went from the NEC to the A ten to a mid to a to a big nighttime school. I know Grosso's not gonna come to another Rhode Island school and all that stuff, but I would be okay with Grosso coming up to URI. It just on the fact that he follows the trek and his guys seem to give him the effort. Chris Mack, I know it's not gonna happen, but a man can dream.
1: Yeah. Mac, I didn't have on my no list, but I have a couple of other guys on the no list, not because I don't want them, but because th- th- there's no way they can afford these guys. Uh, Archie Miller and Sean Miller and Chris Mack, like they're not going to these guys are going to command way more money than URI is willing to pay. and Or they would just and, take
2: a two year, 200 grand, fix the program, rebuild their names on on transfers and get the hell out of here.
1: Yeah, and I don't know if these guys have the appetite to do a rebuild now, especially when, you know, if uh, like look at um, who's the crappy team in the Big East that's not Georgetown, is it is Kapoor. it Butler? Uh, Butler, maybe they kind of stink, right? Uh, yeah. Like I, I could see Mac going there. Sorry, I'm looking at the Big East right now. Yeah, Butler's 11 and 12, and they're four and eight in the conference. Like that to me seems like the ideal landing spot for Chris Mack um, back in the Big East. Like that's where I see him going. As for Grasso, I don't dislike him, but he can't coach defense. His he, he just wins every game in a ridiculous shootout. But they're they're not a good defensive team. They play fast. They score a crap ton and they give up a crap ton, but they usually score more than they give up. But um, I don't know. Like I, I think of the A10 as a very defensive-minded league, and I don't, I don't know that uh, that Grasso would fit that mold. All right, I, I'm not against him, but uh, I think they could probably do better given their pedigree. Who
2: else is on your no list? Just those names, or do you have others? uh
1: patino was the only other one i had on the no <laughs> I'm,
0: cool. I'm cool with that being on the no
1: list. yeah <laughs> all
0: right so
2: gary uh before i give you my my realistic one and the argument that i have for him which is what gets everybody everybody that i've given this name to they all look at me funny and then after i give them the reasons why they're like oh that makes sense but gary tell us your one that you gave to me on sunday that
0: i liked the name that came. Wait, give, him a, my give him a
2: hint. He's an assistant coach.
0: So in the A-10 right he's now. an assistant coach in the A-10.
1: All right. So I have a couple of other no's on my list that I forgot oh, about. And no. I'd like to tell you about them. Go ahead. The other three no's on my list are Tyson Wheeler, Preston Murphy, and Jimmy Barron. Ah! <laughs> it sucks to suck, Gary. <laughs> um
0: so, simply, okay. Simply, so
1: not, not the last two. Those weren't so, on my list. Okay. But it, it, I, it I was... saw someone point out Jimmy Barron. He's like a shooting coach for no. like an AAU team or something. Nothing. No, I would not
2: do Jimmy Barron.
1: Preston well, Murphy. No, not with his recruiting issues. Right. And well, here's the thing, not that I'm against Tyson Wheeler, but think about it this way. What sort of – this is a legitimate question for you guys. What sort of appetite do you think URI has for an assistant coach with no head coaching experience right now after how the last four years have gone? Unfortunately I think they're going to go for a guy with a proven head coaching track record. Where are you going to find
2: one? Like, Tyson Wheeler was interesting, but I didn't want him – and I told Gary this, I go, I didn't want him – Mainly for the reason, I think he'd be great for the guards. Uh, Like, I think he would be great for Ish and great for Sebastian. My issue is if it fails, you ruin your relationship with one of the Rhode Island greats. I
1: mean, I I was actually. That
2: seems stupid to think about, but in the long run.
1: I was actually texting um, some buddies of mine, not URI fans, um, but just college basketball fans. And we were talking about Patrick Ewing georgetown and penny hardaway at memphis two absolute program legends in charge of two dumpster fire teams right now and they're gonna have to fire. like how do you if you're georgetown how do you fire patrick ewing but they're gonna have to if you're memphis how do you fire penny hardaway these are like their numbers are in the rafters like these are two absolute heroes that they have to that they have St. to let St. John's
2: had to do with um, – La- no, not Lavin. Oh, my
1: God. Why well, can't I think of his name? Oh, Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen.
2: Just like yeah, St. Yeah. John's
1: had to do with Chris Mullen. Yeah, it's just like uh... – But that's
2: why I was a no on, on Tyson Wheeler. But my realistic name that I think would be a great fit has Rhode Island ties but doesn't have Rhode Island ties. He's an assistant coach right now. He's been around the block. Has a famous dad. Nobody's talking about him. Know Jim, who I'm talking
1: about? Jim Herrick Jr.
2: A certain bald guy who oh. resides in stores right now.
1: Oh, Luke Murray? Yes. I go back to the same thing about... I, yeah. no head coaching thing. Yeah. yeah. I just,
2: he's been on... He was here under Hurley. Yeah. He went to Xavier. He went to Louisville. He's been around the block, been to the big programs, know how these big programs run. And I think the thing that people should really talk about that could really help. This is his dad is going to want him to succeed wherever he goes. So that could lead to some financial donations.
0: I like his thinking. I love his I thinking. you laugh it. at that, Gary, but I know I love. This, so So I laugh at it because it's I all love, about money because I love the thinking of it, but it, it, it's so asinine too, but I love, but it, but it's unfortunately could be true, which is why it's so we
2: could easily, we could probably afford Luke Murray, He's got the experience. He's got respect around the game. He could bring in some decent head coaches, some decent assistants. I mean, to get a legitimate, do you want a guy who's going to prove on approve it, who's got maybe not head coaching experience, but he does have a lot of coaching experience, has respect around the game, or are you going to try and got find some head coach that's going to repair it and then leave? Like I just I think finding one of those named coaches with experience is going to cost you more than a Luke Murray would and not to mention the following you would get and as much as people laugh at me I really think that Bill Murray donating money thing could I don't know how much he has but I'm sure he would help I think he
1: has I think he has some (laughs) I think I, I know that seems dumb but that that's got to play an aspect into it all right so here's a name This I kind of had this in the back of my mind for a while and I've been kind of keeping an eye on this guy because he took over for someone we know. And someone I think on Keeney Blue said it. So I, I won't take credit for it, even though I was thinking about it, but I never typed it anywhere. So you can't you can pull receipts. And um, but how about Bashir Mason? He's at Wagner, he took over for Dan Hurley there. Wagner is sixteen and two. They've won thirteen straight. They're ten and zero in the conference. Uh, he looks like a guy that's ready to move up. They have a top hundred defense in Kempom. That they, they turn teams over like crazy. They rebound well. They shoot free throws well. They don't shoot threes well, but that's more of a recruiting issue, I think. You also you also um, got to
0: remember here, three time EC champion. Three-time
1: right. NEC champion has been fun. Like they got a another coach from Wagner, and it worked out well. This I guy's, like that, but all these things you keep saying that might get bigger schools to go after. I think so too. Yeah, yeah. That that's the problem. You know, It, it, it URI is is in such a a sweet middle ground spot where every name I hear, I'm like, Oh no, they're going power five or, Oh no, nobody wants that guy. Like there's no like middle ground. Well, I uh, perfect. I mean, he could do it. You know, I wouldn't I hate it, Warner. but I just,
2: sorry, go ahead, Dave.
1: I say Wagner beat VCU this year and they beat Jared Grasso and Brian. So <laughs> yeah.
2: I think, I think we're in a better spot going to a coaching search. And we did with the Cox Hurley thing, because you have the practice facility. You have this so-called rebranding. Like, I think life on campus is back up and running. They're doing construction everywhere. I just, I think you need to make the right hire. And my last question for you, would you include certain players in it? Or would you hire somebody in the search? Or would you hire somebody and you lose all the players you lose all the players. Like would you would you include but let, let's all be bygones for bygones. Would this team is going to be Ishlegut's team and Sebastian Thomas's team for the next 2 to 3 years. Would you include them in the search? I don't even know if we can with NCAA rules or would you just hire somebody? You lose everyone, you lose everyone.
1: Well, look, if they move on, they're going to have to be prepared to lose a lot of guys and there are a lot of guys on this team that are from the DC, Maryland, Virginia area that have ties to coach Cox um, either, you know, through the AAU circuit or they know, you know, he knows their family, they know his family. So, you know, brace yourselves. If they do make this move, they're going to lose a good amount of guys. And I don't think. I want them to lose. I don't think, I mean, geez, it got to some points this season where I look at the roster. I'm like, who would I really want to keep? And I'm like, Oh, no, outside, uh, Ish- <laughs> outside of Ish Leggett and Sebastian Thomas. Yeah. Antoine, probably nobody. Well, Thomas is one of those guys that he's a local kid and he doesn't really have any ties to Cox personally. He has ties to the state. So that's, I think we
2: wouldn't lose him. I don't think. Yeah.
1: We- so that's good news. However, you know, you you're going to lose guys. You're going to lose people. Um, I'm not going to project who they will or won't, even though I just predicted that some guy would stay, but, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, so it's going to happen. And I, I don't think that should be a factor at all, especially with the new transfer rules. You know, let's say I'm just, this is just a complete hypothetical. Let's say they hire Bashir Mason at Wagner. He has three, I, I, I don't know. I'm making everything up. He has three guys committed to Wagner next year that are coming in. Well, all of a sudden they all commit to URI or two of the three do, you know? So, and he hits the transfer portal and it's like, oh, you know, this guy's available and this guy's available. They come in, they'll waver and they start playing right away. So it's so easy to reload. And I, I keep making this example, but look at George Mason this year yeah. first, first year head coach. You know, a lot of guys left. He was able to hang on to a couple, but they're eleven and ten. You know that they have a a better Ken Palm than URI. They have a better conference record than URI. First year, first year head coach. So it's if you get the right guy, I I truly think it's going to be. You know, we we love a lot of these players. It's going to be tough to see some of them play somewhere else, but. It's a reality of the situation, and if you get the right guy, I don't think it's that big of a deal other than the personal aspect.
2: I just wonder I – I wonder how many of these guys we can actually lose, though. Like, I don't think theoretically we could lose the Twins. I don't think you can – unless they're okay with losing a year of eligibility, you wouldn't right. be able to lose AB. Yeah, I think realistically the only guys you could actually lose would be Ish and Sebastian. I think the rest of the team is entirely transfer built.
1: Yeah, and um, you know it's the last year for Shepherd. It's the last year for Elamine. They're both transfers anyway, but uh, their eligibility is exhausted. I think pretty much. So yeah, I mean, I I don't know. I don't want to speculate on that on that kind of stuff. Um, I like all these players. I, I don't want to see any of them go. But that the reality of the situation is, people are gonna people are gonna leave if, if Cox leaves just because of that personal connection. So that is right. true.
0: That is true. Uh, So, obviously, as we said, URI has a game tonight. The men have a game tonight against VCU. That game uh, happening at 7 o'clock from the Siegel Center. Uh, Stoner Freeman on the radio call if you're listening on B101. Uh, But the game will be nationally televised on CBS Sports Network. And the women have a game Wednesday night, 7 p.m. against St. Joe's. Uh, that game is on ESPN Plus in a home game on Sunday, 1 p.m., right before the big game since, you know, I don't know if we can call it the Super Bowl. We're a podcast, but who knows?
1: The NFL. Oh, up. yeah,
2: we got to get your pick, Dave. Who you got? Who you got on Sunday in the Super Bowl, in the Super Bowl edition of the roadie baseline?
1: So my um... – my brain says Rams, but my heart says Bengals because uh, my ben. love for Joe Burrow has grown <laughs> in the past month or so. He is so awesome.
2: You and everybody uh, else in America who wanted to, him to get rid of uh, Brittany Mahomes and Jackson Mahomes.
1: Oh, the, to me, the best case scenario is not seeing the Bills or the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Like, I, I, I thought there was no way that – Neither of those, I was like well, one of those teams is going to Super Bowl, and I hate both those teams. So, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm rooting for the Bengals, but I think the Rams are going to win. All
0: right, All right, Gary, who you got? I'm going Bengals.
2: Who day, baby? Who day? <laughs> I'm going Bengals.
0: Uh, but Dave, thank you for joining us on this episode of Rooney Baseline. The whole episode, we took the whole episode with you. Uh, which is, which is great here. Uh, But obviously make sure to follow Dave at Rody rampage. Uh, Dave is a great source for uh, Rody information. Usually really good with keeping up with keeping us, you know, truthful on net um, and Ken Palm and keeping up with those stats, which I think is a big, big part that a lot of people don't focus on uh, that kind of keeps us true to what we're talking about. So uh, make sure to give him a follow uh, on Twitter. And also he's also on Instagram. Uh, at yeah. But, but, yeah, but 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 Twitter's where. But Twitter's where you got to find him. Uh, but yeah. Dave, thank you so much for joining us on this episode uh, and giving us your hot takes. Uh,
1: yeah, this was a good therapy session, I think. Thanks, guys.
0: <laughs> as we said, those two games coming up for URI. Uh, thank you for joining us on this episode of Rody Baseline. Make sure to follow us at Rody Baseline on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And as always, go Rody.